Amen. 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 Once again, my name is Michael or Abeku. Um, I come from the distant village far away called Lynchburg, and I bring greetings from, from them. Um, and I'm, I'm just here to continue, or I guess technically I was supposed to introduce the topic, but I was in Lynchburg last week um, introducing the topic there. So let's pretend, you know, hold on to every, all the great words that was shared last week, and let's kind of take a step back and really dig through this topic of that kingdom come. I was very excited when the opportunity came to, 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 to speak on this topic. So I, I put together the, the, the themes or the topics for this month. And I remember when we were in the meeting, and, you know, Pastor Kwame said, so this year we're going to go through the, the Lord's Prayer, and each person will take one line and expound on it for the rest of the month. And so I'm going to go through and name them, and then everybody please choose. Already I knew what I wanted to pick. But, you know, you, you, can't, you can't show like you, are, you want to too bad, so you have to kind of act cool. You know, so Pastor's like, you know, our Father who's in heaven, who wants to take that one? Hallowed be thy name. Who wants to take that one? Mm, maybe, you know, maybe somebody else. That kingdom come. Me, me. Oh, I mean, sorry, Pastor. Me. I, I would like to take that. Because I, I believe that this is a very, very profound topic, a very profound idea. I have been stuck in this one line for, for, for years, actually. There is so much depth and wisdom in this single idea that oftentimes Christians miss out on it. And so today we're going to try to tackle just a little bit of that. Now my theme for the day, uh, for today is behold the king. My theme for today is behold the king. But, but I, I want to start us somewhere and then work us into behold the king. Because many Christians unfortunately miss that idea that we have been given the authority and the power to enact God's kingdom on earth. And so that manifests itself in how we pray, in how we worship, in how we talk, in how we sing. Because we have lost sight of the fact that when Jesus Christ left the earth to go to heaven, there was a small group of people that he left the earth in charge. And so we walk around the earth and we act as if there is nobody in charge. God, Jesus said, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Who did he give the keys to? To us. And so then problems come and we're like, God, how come you're not doing anything? And it's like, how come you're not doing anything? Because I've given you the keys to the kingdom. That kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I was doing a little study, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach the, the basis of this from two perspectives. So, you know, I, I come from college students, so we like to, you know, overanalyze and, you know, categorize and all the big word eyes things. And so I'm, I'm going to try to approach this from two categories. So there is the apostolic side of the idea of that kingdom come, and there's the prophetic side. Somebody say apostolic side. And then there's the prophetic side. Okay, so we're going to start with the apostolic side. So the word apostle. You know, I, I believe our father has an apostolic anointing. The word apostle is an originally a Greek word. I can't say the word is too big. I think it's like apostolos or something like that. But it's, it's originally a Greek word that the Romans stole and implemented. So we all know about the Roman, the Roman em, uh, Empire that ruled during the time of Jesus' existence. And so 
They would go to cities, they would conquer the cities, and then they go to the next city, and then they would conquer the city, and then they would go to the next city, and then they beat everybody and then conquer it. But they realized that there was a problem. I conquered city A, I conquered city B, I conquered city C. By the time I'm in city D, city A has already forgotten everything that happened. Because we moved on to the next one. So there was nothing to show that the Romans had been here. So they had a meeting. I was there in the meeting. I'm kidding. But they had a meeting and said, how can we make sure that this kingdom, though, this empire that we're trying to build lasts forever? So they came up with this idea that they stole from the Greeks. So pick generals, people out of the military that they're going to call apostles. And the idea or the responsibility of an apostle is that to study the entire city of Rome, study what they eat. Study what they wear, study what they drink, study how they talk, study what they read. And your job as an apostle, once we conquer a city and we leave you there, is that exactly as it is in Rome, your job is to make it the exact same way. So whatever is done in Rome, your job as an apostle is to enforce the same things. So that way, and, and this is the mark that apostle is doing his good job. So that way, if the emperor ever decided to visit any of the cities, they would feel just at, at home. If in Rome we eat rice and stew, this subordinate city, everybody there better eat rice and stew. If in Rome we dance, I don't know any of the young dancers, apparently I'm getting too old. But in Rome, if we dance a certain way, every subordinate city has to dance a certain way. So then Jesus comes now and he has the 12 disciples he picks 12 people and he calls them, these are my apostles. Which means that they now have the job that as it is in the kingdom that they're from, which is where heaven, their job is that wherever they go, whatever city, whatever church, whatever building they enter, is your responsibility to make sure that the place flows and functions in such a way that if the king was to ever enter that place, he would feel just at home. And then he told them, now go and make disciples of all nations, which means every single individual person in this place carries an apostolic unction. That wherever you go, as it is in the kingdom that you're from, exactly should it be. And you and I have the responsibility to make it so. That's why he said, all authority has been given to me in the earth. Now go and make disciples of all nations. And what do you add? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Why? Because in heaven, there is no sick, there is no dead, there is no demons. So then how can we come face to face with demons? And guess who's running? How can we come in contact with sickness? And guess who's afraid? Us. When we've been given the authority. We've been given the authority. See, there's, there's a difference between authority and power. And sometimes we confuse that idea. Let's say Mr. Carroll is a policeman. Me, I'm a thief. I'm in a place I'm doing what thieves do. And I have a gun. Mr. Carroll shows up as a policeman and says, freeze. Me too, I say, freeze. Who between the two of us should be afraid? Me, the thief. Why is that so? Because watch this. I have a gun. So I have power. He also has a gun. He has power. But I have no authority. He has a badge that gives him authority. That badge says that there are thousands of other people and neighbors.
Amen. Oh, there's a little ring here. He said, all authority has been given to me. We have been given apostolic unction and authority and power that wherever we go, as it is in heaven, so shall it be. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth through us. So many Christians are so focused on dying and going to heaven. That they lose sight of that while they're on earth, heaven must come through them. You're so focused on, let me follow all the rules, do all the things so that way one day I can make it. But God has graced us so that way heaven will come on earth. In our finances, heaven must come on earth. In our businesses, heaven must come on earth. None of us was made to be poor. Because in heaven, there is no poverty. In heaven, there is no tears. In heaven, there is no sorrow. In heaven, there is no darkness. But everything must be light. So how come then we allow? Who did he leave in charge? Who did he leave in charge? We as a people must rise to our place as apostles endowed with authority. So that's the apostolic side. When it comes to the prophetic side. So, I always used to think about this. Oh, this, this idea dropped in my head and I haven't been able to get out of it. Sometimes I, I work myself into a frenzy in my own mind, just kind of letting my mind ramble, ramble on too much. Sometimes I need to reel that back a little bit. I'm always thinking. But I used to think, and I, I pose this question to you. How come, so, so let me back up. So we know that the first time that there was sin in existence was in heaven. When Lucifer disobeyed God and said, I want to be like God. I want to be in his nature. I'm the, you know, angel of light. So therefore, I must also receive some worship and glory. And I must, you know. So then God said, okay, small boy, let me show you who has power. And then he kicked them out of heaven. The question that I always ask myself, when God kicked Lucifer out of heaven, how come he didn't send him to like Mars? Or like, you know, another universe altogether. Or just completely make him disappear. How come he put Lucifer on earth, the exact same place that he put human beings? I mean, I don't know about you, but life would be so much easier if he was like, you know, in another universe by himself. Just, you know, mind his business. Or find some stranded island where nobody can get to him and he can't get to anybody. Why did God choose to put Satan and the demons in the exact same place that later he will put human beings? What is the one thing that Lucifer wanted? To be like God. And God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. Lucifer was the angel of lights. He said, you are the light of the world. So I am here to propose to you. Maybe, just maybe, God put you on earth. Not so that the enemy can torment you, but so that you can torment the enemy. To say that the one thing that Lucifer wanted, I am going to put six billion people on earth who all carry the one thing that Lucifer wanted. So that he can see God's power and see God's glory and see God's victory. See, we, we have this thing backwards. Every day, pastor, pray for me or the devil is after me. 
Pastor, help me. The devil's after me. Pastor, give me what the devil's after me. But the reality of the matter is God put us on earth to show the enemy something. If you don't believe me, give me a second. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And that's not, well, that's not, gonna, we're gonna, that's not where we're going to end. But we're just starting there. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 to, I'll read from 7 to 11. It says, I have become a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So there's a mystery that he needs to make plain. It says, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10. He says, his intent was that now through the church, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. God's plan was that through the church, he would demonstrate his wisdom to all the rulers of this earth. Through us, God wants to teach the enemy a lesson. Through you, through me, through our obedience, through our victories, through our sacrifices, through our conquering. So how can we live as though God put us here to allow the enemy to torment us when we were put here to torment the enemy. See, we've got this thing backwards. We as a people must rise. The kingdom of heaven must come on earth. And it can only come through us. Because we are the ambassadors. We are the apostles. We are the prophets. We are the messengers. There's a reason why the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He sat us there so that we can always have an awareness of what's going on in heaven. So that when we come across a situation, we know exactly what it should be or shouldn't be. Our perspective must change. We'll smile a little bit. Amen? Our perspective must change. If I walked into a dark room, and I stumbled my way and I found the light switch, and I flipped the switch. In that instance, there is no debate between light and darkness. Who will flee? That, that, you know, darkness is, okay, hold up, guy. Darkness doesn't say, hold up, guy. Let's talk this through. I was here before you came. So please allow me to enjoy my darkness and my space. There is no conversation because light always trumps darkness. Maybe the reason why you're not as powerful as you, you should be is because you don't think you should be that powerful. The problem is not in the ability. The problem is in the mindset. God has endowed us with all grace and all wisdom and all strength and all power and all authority to take dominion over this earth. He gave Adam the mandate, take dominion over this earth, be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't just mean, you know, have kids and then explain. Because if you think about it, so for the Israelites, they enter into the promised land. God gave them a command to expand bit by bit. Not to just kick everybody out instantly, but do bit by bit. Otherwise, the beast of the field will take over the land that they've cleared. The idea is that Adam and Eve start off in a garden. The garden is small. The garden is just the size Enough for Adam and Eve to be able to take care of. 
as they have more kids and as their family grows, now they're able to expand and go further because then now they can teach their children the mandates and the principles and the rules of God. So that way, I have this small section. Me, my wife, and my, me and my wife, we take care of this section. When I have kids, they move to the next section. They're able to enforce God's rule. And then we expand and we expand so that every area of earth, there is an agent of God standing there, watching God, enforcing the laws of God there. This is our place. This is our band-aid. So if you are here today and you're scared of demons, that must change. If you're here today and you're afraid of death, that must change. If you are here today and you're afraid of sin, of sinful people, oh, this person is a sinner, so me, I won't even walk near them. That must change. Because we are called to change their life. So this is the idea of the kingdom coming. This is the idea that we're going to expound on for the rest of the month. How do we as believers begin to change our mindset, renew our mind in such a way that when we see a situation, we don't just say, ah, who's going to fix this? But recognize that we have been given the solution. But before we can do that, we have to have a rightful perspective of the king that gave us that authority. A kingdom is only a kingdom because of its king. Once a new king comes on the throne, everything changes. If you don't believe me, look at the country we're living in. With each president, it's a complete shift in the, the energy. It's a complete shift even in the conversations that happen in the workplace and in the coffee shop. It's a complete shift just based on the person that is sitting on that seat and what they personally believe. We cannot take hold of the kingdom and bring it on earth if there is not a relationship with the king. If there is not an understanding of who the king is. So this takes us to Isaiah chapter 6. Before we can become apostles and prophets. By the way, the word apostle means messenger. And to be a prophet means to speak. For God. Or speak what God reveals to you. So the same idea as a messenger. And so how can we be sent if we don't know who's sending us? So Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. We don't judge. I make assumptions. Even me, myself, I struggle to find it. Lord, have mercy. If you're there, say Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 1. So the, the, this, this chapter of Isaiah gives account of Isaiah's encounter with God. He was taking, he had a vision where he was taken into the throne room, and so he gives an account of being in the throne, throne room and seeing God. So I'll read from verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And his robe filled the temple. Let's pause right there. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And his robe filled the temple. The, the, first, the first thing that, reading this, that, that, that came to my mind. Isaiah did not see the Lord until the sixth chapter. And he has been prophesying all five chapters. So where exactly was he getting that from? 
Not everybody that can give a prophetic word has a relationship with God. Not everybody that can speak deep things knows God. Saul was on the throne for 40 more years, and somebody else had been anointed in this place. Six chapters, my man has been prophesying and saying deep things, and he had not yet seen the Lord. Which means even you and I can be in church, lifting up our hands and singing all the songs, and still not have seen the Lord. I can be playing the keyboard, and the presence is flowing, and yet be the one person that has not seen the Lord. A lot of times we confuse manifestations with fruit. There's a big difference between manifestation and fruit. See, in a gathering like this, God has a plan and a purpose for everybody in here. God has things that he wants to do and give to everybody in this place. And so he will not let Michael's foolishness and Michael's disobedience stand in the way of somebody being blessed. And so if he has to use me, he will. But that does not mean that I'm in right standing. There's a clear difference between manifestation and, and fruit. That's why when you look at the qualifications in Scripture for like a pastor, none of it says he must be able to lay hands on people and then they fall five feet back. None of it says he must be able to prophesy a deep word. But it's how is he at home? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his kids? How does he manage his money? Because I can fool anybody out there in the world. But the one person I cannot fool is the person that wakes up with me every day. I can smile and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God bless you. But the one people, the few people that will know me are my children when they know when daddy's angry. Six chapters, and he's only now seen the Lord. Somebody say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Before you wreck yourself. Oh, look at your neighbor and say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. So he just says, examine yourself. See whether you're in the faith. Six chapters. He's now seen the Lord. Second thing that stood out to me. The first line. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. For some of us, some things must die in our lives in order for us to see the Lord. The people that you started with can't go with you to where you're going. Because you carry a grace and an anointing and a plan and a purpose that is different from them. It doesn't mean they're bad. They may very well be good for you. But where you're going requires isolation. Which is why every morning Jesus isolated himself to pray even though he had disciples around him. Because in order for him to accomplish that which he needed to, he had to get alone with God. Some things must die. Some people must leave in order for you to step into that which is called you to be. Everybody, a lot of times we want to go everywhere with everybody. It's all a lot of, a lot of times it's all about the numbers. If I'm doing something and everybody's approving, <laughs> approval becomes our mark for excellency. We judge ourselves by other Christians who are judging themselves by other Christians who are judging themselves by other Christians. So if that one Christian approves and the other approves, then that means me to approve. But no. For as narrow is the path, and few will find it. 
Narrow is the path and few will find it. So get comfortable with things dying in your life. Get comfortable. That's so funny. Um, so um, Stephanie, right, my fiance. I can't believe I said that in mic. Wow. Anyway, so, so she, she, she just got saved about two years ago. Um, she's been in the church, but she just got saved about two years ago, about, about right before we met. And so a lot of times we're always talking about God, and she's always crying. She's always in her feelings because the same friends that she started with, oh, she, she will have a birthday party. She will invite them. They will have a birthday party. They will invite everybody but her. Sometimes the friends that she introduced other people to, they will go around and invite them past her. And she goes, am I doing something wrong? Is something wrong with me? Am I not a good friend? I'm like, you have to understand. You're in a new path now. You used to go to the club with them. You don't do that anymore. You used to drink with them. You don't do that anymore. You used to talk about foolish things. You don't do that anymore. Now you're praying. You're reading your word. Every conversation that you had somehow turns about Jesus. Some people's demons can't get comfortable with that. Some people's mental issues cannot get comfortable with that. So it's not that they hate you. It's just where you're going and the things that God is installing with you, it rubs up wrongly on them. So even if they wanted to invite you, they can't because they know the things they want to do. If you come in that place instantly, they can't do it. Some things must die. I want to read a little ex excerpt. So I did what all the great theologians did. Back in the day, they went on Google. And um, I looked up, who is King Uzziah? Because I really didn't know much about him. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, let me see. I went to Encyclopedia Online because we don't use books anymore. So um, according to the Encyclopedia Online, it says, Assyrian records indicate that Uzziah reigned for 42 years. He, his reign marked the height of Judah's power. He fought successfully against other nations and was an, an exacted tribute from the Ammonites. Judah expanded westward with settlements even to as far as Philistia. During the period of Uzziah's reign, the nation prospered and the desert areas even reclaimed by water conservations. Jerusalem's walls were reconstructed. The towers were added. Engines of wars were mounted at strategic points. A large army was also maintained. The nation simply prospered under Uzziah, under Uzziah and was considered to have been as a result of the king's fidelity to Yahweh. So the nation prospered because of the person on the throne. How, according to biblical records, however, Uzziah's strength caused him to become proud, which led to his destruction. He attempted to burn incense in the temple, an act that is restricted to the priests. And when the priests attempted to send him from the temple, the king became angry and was immediately stricken with leprosy. His son Jotham had to rule in his place until he died. Pride. Anger. Pride. Anger. This is the same mistake that Saul made. To offer sacrifices in place of Samuel. You see, like, history repeats itself sometimes. The first king started with one mistake that led to his downfall. The exact same thing. Because God has blessed him, he forgot who he was and forgot his limitations. And see, this was, this was why God was not even fond of the idea of Israel having a king in the first place. Because human beings, you have the tendency to mess things up. God blesses us small, all of a sudden you can't tell me nothing. I prophesy one word, oh, please. Better, better, you better hold my Bible because I can prophesy small. I see one revelation. That's it. 
I don't even talk to anybody anymore because they're not my level. But anger and pride. Anger and pride. In order for us to see God, anger and pride must go. We cannot get so caught up in the blessings that we forget who the one was that blessed us. We cannot forget the limitations and the boundaries that God has put there in place. Do not eat from this tree or you will die. Ah, but meantime, I, I can be like God now. Anger and pride must go. Some things must die. I read the verse 1 again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And his robe filled the temple. The seraphims were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Let's pause right there. The first thing that we must acknowledge in the presence of God is God's glory. In order for us to truly behold the king, his glory is the first thing because it's his glory that keeps us in check. A lot of us, our problem is we don't have a right perspective of God. As we're talking this morning in Bible studies, if we were to truly see God for who he truly is, we'll understand even his punishments, his mercy. God's glory. Quickly, verse, verse 3. And one called one to one another. Holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The second thing is God's holiness. We cannot lose sight of his holiness. He is holy. And so therefore anything that is unholy cannot come near him. God's glory, God's holiness. Verse 4 says, the foundations of the doorway, doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We must constantly check ourselves for sin. For us to truly behold the King of glory, all sin must lay aside. Come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. You cannot stay as you are because you've been created to, to, to mimic Jesus Christ. He's shaping us in our image. And so we cannot come and stay as we are. Love requires sacrifice and change and commitment. Love requires pruning. Love means that he's going to take away some things that make you less like him. And put in some things that make you more like him. But we must acknowledge our unclean lips. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphims flew, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar of tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sins atoned for. Praise God for his cleansing power. Praise God that when we become broken and bruised and damaged, he doesn't leave us as we are. But he's able to keep us from falling. He's able to cleanse us and purify us and perfect us unto himself as a spotless lamb. This is who our king is. This is why we run to him when we're in trouble instead of run away from him. Because only he is able to cleanse us. This is our king. Then the voice of the Lord said, verse 8, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And I said, here I am, send me. 
in order for us to fulfill our roles as apostles and as prophets on this earth. This is the process that we must go through. The dying away of things. A rightful perspective of the kingdom of the throne. Again, an acknowledgement of our sin and our brokenness and our weakness. And allowing ourselves to be cleansed and purified by the only one that who's able to. Then comes the call. Everybody wants a suddenly calling. All of a sudden, God gave you anointing. But nobody wants the process of preparation. Everybody wants instantly, I'm anointed. Instantly, I'm blessed with a million dollars. But nobody wants the process to learn money management. This is our king. These are his requirements. And we must have a rightful perspective of him in order for the kingdom to come on earth. His standards are like two mountains. There is no middle ground. Either you're in the will of the Lord or you're not. And it's our responsibility and our duty to align ourselves with the one who's called us, the one who's redeemed us, so that his kingdom might be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we rise to our feet? Shall we rise to our feet? Shall we rise to our feet? I just want everybody to lift up their voice praying. Say, Father, cleanse me, purify me, 